Laurel, Laurel. Kelsey, 
Kelsey's Kitchen. Say hello, Kels. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be here and learn all I can about podcasts, so check out my podcast coming soon. Awesome. The apple, I would say the apple doesn't fall, fall too far from the tree, but we actually fell at the same time. They were from the same apple. Yes, we Two were. seeds in the same apple. A- yes. <laughs> For those of you who uh, do not know, I am a triplet, and this is my triplet sister, Kelsey. We also have a twin brother named, well, dear, he's also a triplet. Nothing bad <laughs> happened, but <laughs> we kicked him out of the named tree, Vincent, yeah. and he's the one that designed our podcast logo. Um, anyway, we had a really funny conversation. Well, okay, this is not funny. This topic is not funny. Everyone get serious, Get please. serious. My parents told us that when they um, got pregnant with us as triplets, they went to the hospital and... Um, the doctor asked them if they wanted to reduce, which basically means take the life of one of the triplets in order for um, like a higher chance of living for the other two. And so immediately my parents were like, oh God, no way. Like, why would anyone do that? And of course we know that people do this for health reasons and things like that, but they were fully against it. And the doctor said, oh my gosh, thank God. I have to ask that but my parents did not reduce. And so they told us this on Mother's Day. And so for my Mother's Day card, which is always written in crayon, it just said, thanks for not reducing. And my mom loved it. Flo, do you have something on your mind? I am beyond horrified. Yeah, it's murder is what that is. And I didn't, he had to ask that? Yeah, he said that he had to ask I was that. literally looking at a post the other day, it like popped up on my Instagram of triplets, two boys and a girl. And the two little boy babies were, like, big and healthy looking, and she was a little bit smaller, and they were saying how, like, the parents chose to save her life. But that just blows my mind that that's even a question of, like, that's insane. It is a question to some people, absolutely. it shouldn't be because babies are babies. Babies are humans. Babies are people. Breaking news. Dang, I'm so glad all three of y'all exist. Yeah. And I hope that that does not happen anymore. Well, the fact that my brother and I were identical twins um, means that if they were going to reduce, they couldn't kill my brother or I because we were in the same sack. So it actually would have been Kelsey. Kelsey, I'm so glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Oh, that freaks, that gives me chills. That, that's just like... I'm also glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Speaking of women. Yeah, let's this do episode it. is all about women for real. Um, we've got some awesome news today. Researchers have spotted the fastest growing black hole ever found. And have seen this thankfully distant devourer consume a mass equivalent to Earth's sun every two days. That's our terrifying news of the day. <laughs> it's been a while since we've scared y'all. I guess we did a double whammy of scaring y'all with the reduction thing and black holes. We did. Which is so two forms we're of sorry. destruction. It is. Um, which do not make a right. Okay, mm-hmm. two forms of destruction. So there's your lesson for today. Black <laughs> holes are big and growing. Babies are humans, even inside the womb. Anything else? And? If you don't like our opinions, then don't listen. (laughs) And our opinions are science, not just because we're Catholic. Here we go. Conception starts at birth. Look it up in any textbook. Okay. I have Conception starts at birth. (laughs) Life starts at conception. There we go. I have another one for you. Not another one of those bombshells for you. But we've told you time and time again that... um, Space Nation has released this app where you can become an astronaut, right? Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm still in the top 20, which is awesome. Wow. But it's a little lonely. I 
have to say. So I have decided to share my journey with all of you. Uh, so if you'd like to join me on this journey and catch up um, and support and follow with like weekly workouts, studying and learning Russian, all the quizzes that we have to do and all the cool activities and games we do through the app, you can follow me on Instagram at BraveTheMoon. No way! <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Oh, I'm excited. Yes, Brave the Moon, because when I was in Indian Guides, my Indian Guides name was Brave Moon. And so I wanted that, but somebody has it. So, so now you have to be... I asked my wife and she said, oh, Brave the Moon is so sick. That's hilarious. And, and it... you have to like brave the conditions of the moon. Precisely. That is beautiful. So check me out and we'll go on this journey together if you don't want to. Do it yourself, that is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. And if anyone speaks fluent Russian and wants to just help him out. It will be, be very funny. So I will be helpful. speaking Russian sentences as I learn them. I don't think it will be Russian in that case. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll be making sounds. We have some Russian listeners, though, right? We do. We'll that's... send you a free T-shirt if you do all of Tony's Russian lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's worth it. Okay. Um, all right. So moving into today's topic, you've heard us uh, talk so much about all of these men that have dominated science and science fiction. Uh, I constantly talk about the Foundation trilogy that I read and I'm now obsessed with that we told you last week was possibly being made into a TV show written by Isaac Asimov. We have Robert Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke. You guys have heard these names from us so many times, but those are the fathers of science fiction. And rarely in this wonderful week following Mother's Day, mm -hmm. do we ever think about the mothers of science fiction or rather the mother? The mother of all science fiction. You know who it is. I hope. Do you? I, to be honest, can I be honest with you? I did not. Be honest with me. The first science fiction novel ever written was not a man. Mm -mm. And it's a super popular one. So if you're thinking it's going to be something obscure, you're wrong. Frankenstein, written by Mary Shelley. Its original title was The Modern Prometheus, and it was written in 1818, or published in 1818, rather. So Mary Shelley, at the age of 18, in the summer of 1816, visited Lake Geneva with her husband, Percy, and their friend, Lord Byron, and John Polidori. They were sitting around inside a lot um, because of the weather. And so the company took to telling German ghost stories, which prompted Lord Byron that they should all write a story on their own. Mary wrote in her introduction to the 1831 edition of Frankenstein, quote, I busied myself to think of a story, a story to rival those which had excited me to this task, one which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror, one to make the reader dread to look around, to curdle the blood, and quicken the beating of the heart. Ooh, Mary. She had some big goals out there. So Mary was the only one to finish her story during the trip and then published it in 1818, which paved the way for all science fiction authors, men and women, to do the same. So I can kind of see how from that area of the world, with weather keeping her inside, how Frankenstein was written. Yeah, and like the dark stormy moors of England and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then yeah. being told a bunch of ghost stories. Like, I can barely go to bed after watching Jessica Jones, okay? I have to watch Disney Channel or The Office afterwards. <laughs> so it makes sense how it was written. Some other notable names in science fiction uh, are Octavia Butler, Andre Norton, Ursula K. Le Guin, Anne McCaffrey, Connie Willis, and Jane Yolen. However, that's not where the magic is at, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's in the real science. 
These women are such badasses. <laughs> the first female scientist that we want to celebrate in this episode is Vera Rubin, who you've probably heard about if you've heard of these female scientists. In the 1970s, she began to study the rotation of spiral galaxies. When they observed angular motions different than that of their predictions, she found out that these galaxies were rotating way too fast for the amount of gravity present. And if you're a listener uh, from the beginning, this may sound pretty familiar. You can probably guess it. It's dark matter. Vera Rubin hypothesized that this interstellar glue holding galaxies together is now what we call dark matter. Really, really cool. Incredible. Another leader in science, Carolyn Porco. In the 1980s, Carolyn got to work on the Voyager mission to Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. In fact, she's considered one of the world's foremost experts on the planetary rings and moons of those planets. She is the woman who led the imaging team on the Cassini mission, which was orbiting Saturn until it intentionally crashed into the atmosphere. And lastly, she is the one who discovered those huge geysers and plumes of icy particles on Saturn's moon, Enceladus. Yes, the plumes that we mentioned last episode um, that could potentially harbor life. Bacteria. <laughs> yeah, bacteria, life, <laughs> alien life. Yeah. Um, and she's also on the team that imaged Pluto on, on the New Horizons team when it flew by, and everyone saw Pluto's heart or whale tail or face. So next, we have Nancy <laughs> Grace Roman, are you okay? Nancy Grace? (laughs) You must be this old to have this name. The angry blonde lady from TV. No, I don't know. Nancy Grace. The Nancy Grace show? I have no idea. I only listen to Susie. Oh, she's like really intense. Susie Orman? Yeah. Oh, Nancy Grace is another really intense one. I just pictured her being up in space and I thought it was really funny. (laughs) Dang. Well, uh, (laughs) Nancy Grace Roman um, (laughs) was born in 1912. She organized a backyard astronomy club with her friends when she was 11 years old, and clearly it never wore off. So Nancy got her PhD in astronomy at the University of Chicago in 1949 and became NASA's first chief of astronomy. Chief of astronomy, the first one. And she was the first woman ever to hold an executive position there. Her greatest achievement, though, by far, is being instrumental in developing orbiting telescopes like Hubble, which have given us unbelievably beautiful images of our universe, as well as hunt for planets beyond our solar system. That one is crazy to me. Chief of Astronomy at NASA. She was the first. She's so inspirational. I love that when she was 11, she was having the little club. I know. I can't even get my wife to come outside. I can't get my friends to hang out. I'm so lonely. (laughs) Actually, my wife does come outside. Okay. You've been exposed I last been week exposed. for eating seven cartons of ice cream in a row and then passing out in your own sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and this week. But that's what started my journey to being an astronaut. That you're so lonely? Is that I ate seven cartons of ice cream, blacked out, and then was like, I should go on a walk. And at that very moment, NASA was like, or Space Nation said, I think it's time for a Get walk. Get up, man. Yeah. Get up. We gotta help you out. <laughs> Um, back on to our incredible women. These names are my, probably a little bit more well-known. Um, Sally Ride, Ride, Sally Ride, was the first woman in space. Is that her full name? Sally Ride, Ride, Sally Ride? <laughs> ride, Sally Ride. Because she was incredible. Yeah. Way better than James Bond. Um, she was the first <clears throat> woman in space in 1983. And then, of course, Mae Jameson, who was the first African-American woman in space in 1992. I remember that. I was just coming out of the womb. 
<laughs> I popped out, and the first thing I remember seeing was my sister and my brother and, and May Jameson floating in space. space. I love being born. <laughs> it's my favorite memory. So that is a direct quote uh, from the video of my birth. Anyway, <laughs> okay, this next one's really, really cool. Uh, Carolyn Shoemaker has discovered more comets and asteroids than any other astronomer. She's discovered over 800 asteroids and more than 32 comets. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> and she had zero formal training. So who are your friends from the beginning of the show? Uh, Tabitha and Hannah. She had no formal training. Dang. I know that Hannah is having formal training in yeah, psychology. Yeah, but Tabby, let that inspire you. Dude. Okay, so she discovered this comet called, now it's now called Shoemaker-Levy 9, that eventually broke up in July of 1992 and collided with Jupiter in 1994. And this provided the first direct observation of an extraterrestrial collision of the solar system objects. So this captivated scientists. Every single amateur astronomer up to scientists uh, was viewing this event, and you could literally see this comet crash into Jupiter's surface. And that was all because of some non-formally trained astronomer. Unreal. Very unreal. So that was an unbelievable woman who has that informal training. But we're not going to move into a very specific section of work at NASA. And this may be more well-known to you um, as we... Well, describe it. Yeah, yeah. So before we had electronic computers, the term computer referred to people, not machines, which if you've seen Hidden Figures, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and if you haven't seen Hidden Figures... You're a loser like Tony. Tony hasn't seen it. Tony hasn't seen it. Cast me out. <laughs> you've called me out way too many times for the movie I haven't seen. And this one I saw and I loved. Um but will, so in that movie, it's all about these... I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> these women that do all the calculations by hand. So it was a job title designating someone who performed mathematical equations and calculations by hand. Over the next 30 years, hundreds of women, most with degrees in math or other sciences, would join as computers at the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory. So the first computers at Langley, organized into a central office in the administration building, took on calculating work that had originally been, been done by the engineers themselves. And according to the 1942 report, computing sections were designed to process data more efficiently, relieving engineers of this essential but time-consuming work. So engineers were free to devote their attention to their other aspects of research projects, while the computers received praise for calculating data more rapidly and accurately, doing more in a morning than an engineer could do in an entire day. And while the specific tasks a computer did varied according to the need or her department, the majority of computing work involved three components, reading films, running calculations, and plotting data. All this work was done by hand using slide rules and curves and magnifying glasses and just basic calculating machines. Okay, that's crazy. Unreal. My mind is like soft. Okay, so when I was in school... My mind is soft? No. What does that mean? You understand this if you like... You don't understand this flow because you're still you in your degree. You don't get it, flow. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> because <idiot>. you're a woman, flow. <laughs> flow, because you're still in your bachelor's degree, yeah. your mind is like constantly being challenged and worked. And then when you stop going to school, somebody will ask you a question. For me, I went to school um, and I took a bunch of calculus in a row. And if you asked me any math question, like simple math or a little bit more complicated, I could do it like instantly in my head. 
But now, and you've got, you guys have seen this and witnessed this on the episode. If you ask me a math question, I'm like, um, carry the one long to Okay. I'm soft. Well, joke's on you, idiot, because... <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a man. Even though while I'm in my bachelor's right now, I still can't do calculations <laughs> in my head. <laughs> That's it. Joke is on me. I was never capable of doing that. I'm a human communication study major. I just learn about how to solve conflicts and people to talk. That was a good sentence. And to speak. <laughs> so, <laughs> I also learned to spoke speak mm-hmm. in my but with numbers degree. anyway oh. so this this entire operation um made certain missions possible like the uh, apollo 11 landing on the moon would not have been possible without these um women and there were over four hundred thousand people hired to make that mission a success so not only were these unbelievable women for what decades yeah decades doing incredible work for the laboratory, but we're gonna to touch on some specific computers that just were above and beyond extraordinary. One of them being Margaret Hamilton, who was a computer programmer who would later wind up leading the software engineering division of the MIT Instrumentation Laboratory, which is now known as Draper Labs. Computer science, as we now know it, is just coming into existence at the time. Hamilton led the team that developed the building blocks of software engineering, which is a term that she coined herself. Her system's approach to the Apollo software development and insistence on rigorous testing was critical to the success of Apollo. And as she noted, there was no second chance. We all knew that. Crazy. So another woman who has had um, just an insane impact on the way that we classify stars today um, is Annie Jump Cannon. Coolest name. Coolest name ever. You can ask my dead fish. (laughs) You named your fish Jump Cannon? Cannon. Because of her? Yeah. Good fish. Good fish. (laughs) Good boy. Boy, she was a woman. Do you know? Yeah, it was a beta a fish. It was a beta fish. It had a pink lid, you know? On pink. the jar that you got it in or on the fish? <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing like a scumbag Steve pink hat. <laughs> I thought yeah, dude, she was wearing a pink <laughs> lid. I thought maybe it was a technical term for a part of the fish. <laughs> so um, the fish had a pink lid <laughs> and a yellow underbelly. So, um, anyway, the part of the fish considered the lid was pink. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yes, I bought a betta fish with a pink lid on the container. Someone just put that on there. They don't know what the frick it was. No, it was labeled. Yeah, but if I worked at the pet store, I'd be like, that's a boy. You know what? In today's society, you know what? It was a pink lid, and I'm sticking to that. (laughs) My baby is going to be a girl, and her room has a pink lid. No, it doesn't. It has a white lid. If by lid, ceiling. I mean ceiling. Yes, she has a pink room, though. Anyway, Annie Jump Cannon entered. I want to name my kid Annie Jump Cannon. Yeah, do it. You haven't I, named her yet. I will do it. Do it. Hey, Jenna. Jenna, listen New up. New baby name. Annie New Jump baby Cannon. Name. Annie Jump Cannon. <laughs> Di Bernardo. <laughs> Make it all one word, though. Annie Jump Cannon? Yeah. Wait for it. Di Bernardo. Di Bernardo. Okay. There you go. <laughs> So she entered Wellesley College in Massachusetts in 1880 to study astronomy. She became interested in stellar spectroscopy, which is the process of um, taking the spectrum from light, breaking the light from stars down into its component colors, and then seeing uh, the elements that are present. 
And after suffering from scarlet fever, she was left hearing impaired and she still went on to earn her master's degree. And then over the course of her life, Annie Jump Cannon classified the spectra of over 350,000 stars. And story has it that she could look at any stellar spectra and classify it in just three seconds, assigning each of its, assigning, yeah, assigning each star to its place in the sequence O, B, A, F, G, K, M. And I think she actually created an acronym. I think it's O, B, a fine guy, kiss me. For oh. those. But the thing that kind of pisses me off about that, um, it's not an acronym, Kelsey. <laughs> what is it? An acronym would just be the letters. So oh, it's a mnemonic device. device. Mnemonic, mnemonic device. device. It's a mnemonic device. It's a mnemonic device. I don't know. The thing that kind of pisses me off about that is that she created this sequence, O, B, A, F, G, K, and M. But the classification of stars is the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. And she doesn't get any credit. Dang, poor Annie. She has a way cooler name. She's way cooler. Yeah, I hey, want the Annie so Jump So today in astronomy class, we're going to be checking out the Annie Jump Cannon diagram. Everyone will be in astronomy <laughs> <laughs> Cecilia Payne Gaposchkin wrote one of the most important astronomy dissertations ever. In her PhD thesis, Cecilia proposed a brilliant idea for explaining the composition of stars. Neil deGrasse Tyson says that, quote, Payne's stellar atmospheres is widely regarded as the most brilliant PhD thesis ever written in astronomy and that it became the standard text in its field. He does say that. He says it in Cosmos, A Space Time Odyssey. Have I told you about that Never show? heard about it. Never? Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's really, really good. You know what else is good? What? Hidden figures. Yeah, okay. I'll get around to it. <laughs> so, composition of stars, distance of stars, getting man to the moon, literally being a computer before there was a computer, discovering more comets and asteroids than any other person, becoming the first chief of astronomy at NASA, and being a huge reason why Hubble is giving us these incredible images today, and being an expert in the rings and moons of planets like Saturn, and then lastly, discovering freaking dark matter. Women. Women. Thank you. Thank you. Boys are stupid. But men are cool. Men are good. Eventually, when they evolve, when they get to level 16. When they evolve. <laughs> so, ladies, thank you for your incredible contributions. We can't wait to do more episodes on the women of this generation and to see where the future of science goes wherever the women lead us yes and if you want some inspiration if you are um a woman in the science field maybe you're a student and you'd like some inspiration like to read about some of these women just go to women.nasa.gov and it's a full page of all these incredible women that work at nasa and their stories are they're awesome Mm -hmm. so good to see And if you want to get some inside action, we're posting a hilarious and awesome video relating to this podcast episode. On Patreon. So hit us up there. Get on there. And if you want a really, really awesome podcast to listen to in the near future, check out Kelsey's Kitchen, which will be available on Spotify and iTunes. Well, that's our episode for today, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have the best week of your entire life. This week will be the best week of your life. I promise you, because as we said in the beginning, we can see into the future. And I just saw it. You're going to have the best time. Good news is, I'm having a procedure done tomorrow, and I have not had solid foods all day, and I made it through the whole recording. And I, personally, me, am very excited about that. (laughs) So, Thank you, Chris Traeger. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my best Chris Traeger. More to come. It was pretty good, though. Scientists believe 
that the first man to live <laughs> to 150 years old has already been born. I believe that I am that man. Thanks for joining us as we set sail for Venus. Join us as we load up our spaceship with a bunch of incredible women, with women Don't take all the women, please stop. No, we're (laughs) failing at this tagline. Um, But But join us as women set stale and stable. (laughs) (laughs) You're not keeping all this in, right? (laughs) I know you are. Join us. Everyone who's listening is like, guys, just say goodbye. Um, Join us as women help guide us and set sail for the stars. And don't forget, brave the moon. At brave the moon, let's do it. Space Nation! Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. That was definitely an e-ticket.